Thank you for listening to the Renovation Church Podcast. We're a family that believes you matter, and together we can do something that matters. We hope that this podcast aids you in your spiritual journey toward Jesus. If we can serve you on that journey, please let us know by visiting our website, renovationchurch.com. We always love to hear how the ministry of renovation is impacting your life. The best way to let us know is by leaving a review or tagging us on social media. Wherever you are in the world, know that Jesus loves you and we love you. Enjoy the podcast. Happy New Year to you. It's good to see you guys. Uh, I would say good morning, but it's almost afternoon, so I'll wait and say good afternoon here in a moment. Uh, One thing before we jump into the Word today, you guys can go ahead and go too. Uh, One thing before we jump into the Word today, uh, today starts our 21 days of prayer. Today starts our 21 days of prayer, and you're asking, what about and fasting? Uh, Somebody asked me that earlier today. Well, uh, let me remind you that uh, I believe it was last month I shot a little video And I felt convicted by the Spirit of God during a time of fasting uh, at the end of last year to do my best to lead us to closer adherence with the classical and traditional church calendar. And so that we would celebrate things like Advent, which we did, and Pentecost Sunday, which is coming up on May 19th, and also celebrate the Lenten season, which is a time of repentance and consecration and preparation uh, as we prepare for Palm Sunday and for Easter. And so this year, we didn't want to cancel the 21 days of prayer because we've always started the year that day that way. But I also didn't want to give you 61 days of fasting. And so uh, we're going to do the, amen, look, hey, thank, right? I'm thinking about y'all. And so uh, we're going to do the 40-day Lenten fast together. And so for those of you who are like, man, I wanted to go 21 days. I want to be more spiritual. Well, guess what? I just gave you 19 more days, okay? And for those of you who are like, I've never fasted before, and 40 days seems like an insurmountable task, it's okay. We'll do it together. But what we are going to do in this 21 days is pray together here Monday through Friday at 6.30 a.m. We'll also be praying on Saturdays at 9.30 a.m. There is a plan that we are following on the Bible app that'll be sent out to you if it hasn't already been sent out to you. And my hope is that over these 21 days, the primary thing that we would seek is more of God, the presence of God, the power of God, and the Spirit of God in our lives to kick off this year the right way. Can I get a good amen? Now, if this is your first time with Renovation, a very special welcome to you. Uh, I count it an incredible privilege uh, that you would spend your time with our community, particularly if you would not consider yourself uh, a follower or a practicer of the way of Jesus. Two things I need you to know out of the gate. Number one, this is a place where you can belong even before you believe, and we mean that. You don't have to believe what we believe to belong to this community. Uh, And then two, uh, you can belong while you work out what you believe. And so if you're in a season of deconstructing or reevaluating or trying to figure out what you believe, this is a safe place to ask questions and not be alienated and have a community of people walk with you as you work through those things. Uh, Today, we're starting a brand new series uh, called The Jesus Revolution. I'll get to that in a moment. Before I do, uh, I want to clarify a couple things for you, and I think I'm going to do this at the start of every new series, just just as a matter of teaching, of clarification, of understanding, to tell you the kind of series that we're in. Okay, we do three types of series as a church. The first kind that we do is on biblical worldview, on cultural topics and happenings. So, in other words, we want to help shape your worldview 
biblically about common things that are happening in the culture. Uh, examples of those series would be the ruthless elimination of hurry. Who's more hurried than Atlantans, right? So that's the, that's the host culture. So the antithesis to that would be to slow down. Uh, another example is simple money, rich life, right? Money literally has a chokehold on everybody in this country. And so if we can learn to open our hands over and against the cultural narrative, uh, then we can experience the fullness of God. Another example would be love and marriage. Uh, and our coming fall series on faith and politics uh, called Among Kings, how to be a whole citizen in a politically divided world. Okay, yeah, pray for me. Uh, the second kind of series that we do is biblical perspective on human felt needs. And this is with a specific evangelistic motive. Okay, examples of these types of series would be at the movies, right? When we do that once uh, a year, we spend a couple of weeks looking at gospel themes through common movies. The series we did called Spiritual, The Magnificent Seven, uh, Happy, How to Get It, Keep It, and Give It Away. Those would be examples of those types of series. And then the last type of series we do is called Biblical Knowledge and Interpretation to shape your theology and practice so that you know how to read and understand your Bible and so that you know that the words of the Bible are true. A couple of examples of that are miracles, which we did at the top of 2023, uh, Church in the Wild, our study through 1 Corinthians, uh, and the series we did this past summer called Defining Jesus. Now, I'm sharing this with you for two reasons. Number one, so that you know that we're following a pattern here, okay? Year over year, we're following a pattern that we hope not only strengthens the faith of those who practice the way of Jesus, but also builds inroads into our spiritual family for those who don't. Okay, we're not just taking wild philosophical turns every time we change series. It's a part of a rhythm. It's a part of a pattern. And the second thing I'm sharing this with you is because when a series comes around that is not your cup of tea, okay, there's nothing I love more than uncomfortable laughter. I have my whole ministry. When a series comes around that's not your cup of tea, right, like at the movies or anything else, um, that you would lean in because you understand the why behind the series and the need to lean in for the sake of the one more, okay? Every one of us has a favorite genre of sermon and sermon series. You know what my favorite is? You probably guess it. It's the third one. I like to preach that way. I like to teach that way. I like to learn that way. I just want to open up the Bible and go verse by verse. That's how I'm wired. That's what I want to do. Well, you're going to get it for a few weeks, and then you got to show up at the movies, okay? So... That's what I love. Every one of us has a favorite. Here's, here's my appeal to you as we start this new series, okay? Even if you have a favorite, even if you have a preference, and you're going to see this through the entire book of Acts, please remember that our church exists for those who are not in it because the point of the church is the mission of God, the dechurched and the disillusioned. And what I'm pleading with you as we start this series, and I'll do this at the start of every series now, don't let your preference hinder our mission, okay? We have an incredible opportunity to reach a very lost city, right? And, and so we've got to rhythmically do that, building us up and then inviting them in, okay? Now, today we're embarking on a multi-year journey. Uh, if you were here for a while, you know we spent about six years in John. This won't be that long, uh, but it will be multi-year, okay, through the book of Acts through the book of Acts, and we're calling this series covering Acts, the Jesus Revolution, if you want to write it down, the Jesus Revolution. Why? 
because that's what the book of Acts is. It is Jesus' work while on earth, continuing through his people and literally changing the world. It's a beautiful work of literature. As Dr. Luke takes us from backwater towns like Lystra uh, to one of the intellectual centers of the ancient world in Athens. Luke is a master storyteller, portraying the variety of life of ancient peoples alongside the story of the church's beginning. If you didn't catch it already, Acts is a part of a two-volume work. Luke and Acts go together. One of the unfortunate effects of ordering the New Testament and putting verse numbers and chapter numbers and trying to put things in order is that it could lead us to think that Acts is a separate work on its own, but it's not. They are part of a two-volume work that goes together. Dr. Luke gathers the story of Jesus in the book of Luke, and then he gathers the story of the early church in the book of Acts, and he sees these together as forming the church's foundational narrative, okay? The book of Acts, as I said, is first and foremost about mission. Luke says remarkably little about the church's inner life in this book. You'll see that. And concentrates most of his attention on the church's task, which is seeing those far from God brought into the family of God. Can I get a good amen? amen. Throughout this book, Luke also stresses, and this is my favorite part, the place of the Holy Spirit. Depending on how you grew up, it might be the Holy Ghost. Okay? in guiding and empowering the church for its mission. You see, mission is not a human achievement or invention. And the gifts of the Spirit are given for the mission of the church, not for your or my private edification. They're given so that the kingdom of God is extended. Throughout our journey in this book, I hope you'll see with clarity that the purpose of the Christian church is to bear witness about Jesus to those who are far from him. And in that way, the book of Acts is a call to renewal for the church. It calls the postmodern church back to its roots, to the early church in the upper room in its undivided devotion to prayer, to its evangelistic fervor and redemptive passion, to its fellowship and sharing, to its mutual trust and unity. And above all, it challenges us to open our hearts to the power of the Holy Spirit so that we might be faithful witnesses to the word and experience the triumph of the word in our time. Okay, so that's a little precursor to the book of Acts. If you would, open up your paper or digital Bible to chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1. And if you would, read along with me. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive again by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, the word of the Lord, and if you would say with me, thanks be to God. Father, we thank you for your word and the power of your word and the transforming nature of your word, and we pray now that as we seek to understand your word, that you would hide me behind your hand so that your people can hear clearly from the living God, that we can hear together the call Yahweh, the voice of God, as it can only be heard in the gathering of the saints. In Jesus' name, amen. Is it real? Is it real? That is a question that haunts our faith if we are followers of the way of Jesus. It is the question that surfaces at night. It's always at night. 
when we stare through the darkness up to our ceiling? Is it real? It is the question that sometimes causes us to pull away. It is the question that sometimes causes us to isolate ourselves or to take a hiatus from gathering with the spiritual family of the church. It is also the question we fear being asked of us by anyone we know who does not practice the way of Jesus. But here's what I believe. I believe you want it to be real. I believe you want the story of Jesus and the unfolding narrative of the church to be true or there would be no reason for you to gather with this church. You want to believe. I believe you want to believe. I believe you want to act on that belief. But there's a fourfold challenge that we face that keeps that question. Can I ask it again? Is it real? There's a fourfold challenge that we face that keeps that questioning surfacing and resurfacing throughout our lives. We must first contend with the whispers of the evil one, who is a master at manipulating us to doubt our beliefs. We have to compete with the allure of our host culture and the happiness that it promises apart from Jesus. Even though every one of us who has ever given ourselves over to the host culture knows with certainty that it leads to more pain than it does pleasure. We have to contend with our own internal struggles, histories, proclivities, guilt, and shame. And then lastly, we have to contend with the fact that some of us are not baptized in the Holy Spirit. Some of us don't even know if we believe in that baptism or the power of the Holy Spirit. Yet the Bible is clear that we need the Holy Spirit to empower our faith and our practice. And believe me, I get it. I get it. Over the years, doubt and even cynicism toward God and toward the church have been prevailing forces in my life. In those seasons, I wanted proof. Listen, I wanted proof. I wanted evidence, but I wanted evidence and I wanted proof on my terms. And I wanted evidence and proof on my terms that also did not disrupt the way that I wanted to live my life. I remember one of these times in particular. I was still at university. I stopped reading my Bible altogether. I had begun to slip away from my church community. I stopped attending the college ministry on Thursday nights that I was supposed to be helping to lead. And I spent all that time in these streets. I would come home at all hours of the morning. Once I came home as the sun was about to come up and, and I found my roommate, James, in the living room praying for me. Now, James and I were not only roommates, but he was a part of my then spiritual family. And over the course of several months, he had expressed concern for me, but I was at a place where I didn't want to hear any of it. And then here he was, as I'm stumbling in from the club, here he was on his knees praying for me praying for me. I was moved by it as I walked in to hear this man pleading with God to save me from myself. James and I became great friends, but even more than that, he's a part of the catalyst of my return to faith. It was beautiful. It was heartbreaking to hear him pray those words, but it was the wake-up call that I needed. And so I knelt down beside him, still Slightly inebriated. I'm just keeping it real. I told y'all I always keep it real with you. Still slightly inebriated, I knelt down next to him and I grabbed his hand and I began to pray with him. I confessed my fear and my doubt and my proof quest. 
I asked God to show himself real to me. I asked him for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit, but then listen, God gave it. The Spirit renewed my faith and my strength in a singular moment. The waves of doubt subsided, the fear, and here's what the fear is. The fear is that you might be following some false reality. And that fear that I had, that I was following something false, it suddenly faded completely. I felt unburdened and empowered all at the same time. R.C. Sproul said this, the spirit changes people. You might want to write that down. The spirit changes people. And I experienced in a genuine sense that change, that renewal in an instance. And I would love to help you, by God's spirit, share the same. You see, in Acts, Luke particularly stresses the importance of the Holy Spirit in the church's life. The Spirit is the possession of every Christian. The Spirit is the source of joy. The Spirit is the source of power. The Spirit guides the church in its choices. The Spirit guides the church in evangelistic activity to such an extent that some have called the book of Acts of the Apostles the book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for being excited with me. I don't, nobody wants to be excited alone. Today, perhaps more than anything that you need in your life, and I imagine many of us think we need many things, perhaps more than anything, you need an encounter with the Holy Spirit that will change your life, that will renew your soul, that will fan those embers into flame, that will remind you that it is real. And this is the promise of Jesus for us. Now, as mentioned earlier, if you're following along with me, open up to verse 1. Dr. Luke planned for the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts to be companion works of a single volume. So it makes sense that he would introduce Acts. If you've never even thought about this, he introduced Acts by referencing his first book. Luke desires to summarize the gospel briefly before he goes on to the next stage of the Jesus revolution, which is the dawn of the church. And by writing this way, Luke ensures that we see the unity between Jesus' life and ministry and the church's birth. The gospels, Luke says, tells us all that Jesus began to do and teach. The book of Acts tells us what Jesus continued to do and teach through his witnesses, the church. And the first thing Luke does in setting the following scenes is remind Theophilus and us of why he is writing to give a continuation of what he calls an orderly account of the Jesus revolution. And that's the first thing that I want you to note today. It's the first thing I want you to note today, that the Jesus revolution is well-documented. The Jesus revolution is well-documented. It didn't just come up out of nowhere. It is well-documented. In fact, Luke tells us in the opening paragraph of his gospel that he has researched, he has studied, he has interviewed eyewitnesses, he has watched closely the unfolding narrative of God in Jesus, and now he expounds on that work and research of the life of Jesus by articulating how Jesus' life and ministry were the catalyst for Jesus' rising church. 
This is not manufactured. This is not fanciful storytelling. If you were writing a story, I'll ask you a question. Can I ask you a question? If you were writing a story, would victory come through death? Would victory come, listen, would victory come through death and reward through sacrifice? If you were writing a story about yourself, about your life, would you share all the dirty details of how you messed up, how you ran away? Do you understand that the Gospel of John records John running away so fast that they ripped his clothes off of him? Would you? No, you wouldn't. If I recorded a story in my life, we win all the time. Every day, we've never failed. We always believe. We never lose. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Right? That's how we would write our own stories. That is exactly how we would write our stories. We never share details of how we failed or how things fell apart or how our hero died and we weren't sure if he was coming back. Yes. One historian wrote this, the Bible is accurate archaeologically, geographically, historically, systematically, scientifically, prophetically, and it is miraculous in that it is life-changing. It was written over a span of 1,500 years by more than 40 authors spanning three continents and yet is perfect in accuracy. Try to apply this test to other religious books. The vast number of ancient manuscripts comprising the New Testament reinforces its accuracy. There are more than 5,700 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. Add to that 10,000 in Latin and another 1,500 in various language, 15,000 rather, in various languages. And we have close to 30,000 ancient manuscripts and fragments of the New Testament that you hold in your hand today. In fact, theologian F.F. Bruce wrote this, the evidence for our New Testament writings is ever so much greater than the evidence for many writings of classical authors, the authenticity of which no one dreams of questioning. And if the New Testament were a collection of secular writings, their authenticity would generally be regarded as beyond all doubt. It is a curious fact that historians have often been much readier to trust the New Testament than have many theologians. For those of us who feel we need proof, this is the place to stop and ponder. How does a doctor's record from first century Antioch, which is modern day Turkey, survive for nearly 2,000 years if it's not true? Some of you are medical professionals. You think your paper is gonna be around 2,000 years from now? No. It will be forgotten in the annals of academia. And yet the record of this ancient man survives. Human beings readily dispel stories that reek of falsehood or we place them correctly in the category of fable. It is innate to us. And yet the story of Jesus and the church's birth resounds with more modern proofs of authenticity than any other written work. And so to the question, is it real? Dr. Luke writes, yes, and I will give you every detail I have discovered through time, through research, through witnesses, through experience, I will tell it all, all so that you and I can have an unshakable grasp of the truth of Jesus' life, 
in Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. It is real. History shows us that. Extra-biblical writings show us that. They show us that it's real. But let me tell you something. Only the Holy Spirit can make it come alive inside of you. Okay? Facts don't produce faith. It only reinforces it. It only reinforces it. So what then, the question would be next, is did Jesus do and teach that Luke is hearkening to here? Well, Jesus healed the sick. If you didn't know, he raised the dead. He fed thousands from the lunch sack of one little boy. He walked on water. He commanded storms to cease and then shut down public worship for a day. He defended the poor and the widow and the orphan. He prayed for the unity of his people and their oneness with God. He did much more than that. In fact, the apostle John says that he did so much that there weren't enough volumes of books to even cover it. And what did he teach? Well, he taught about the kingdom of God that reality, that realm of God's reign. It is a present and future reality. It is a promise of the world made right and free from sin and brokenness. It is the promise that God will dwell physically with his people. And it was demonstrated in the miracles of Jesus and activated by the Holy Spirit through his church. And if you're a follower of the way of Jesus, then you get to experience the blessing of God's kingdom. So the ministry of Jesus then was what? It was the beginning of Christianity. And here at the start of Acts, we see Jesus beginning to build his church. In fact, before his ascension, Dr. Luke tells us that Jesus gave instructions to the apostles, verse 2. And Jesus' instructions were clear and can actually be found at the end of the book of Luke. He writes, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, thus it is written, that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So after reminding the disciples that he fulfilled the Old Testament, Luke tells us that Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures by his Holy Spirit. Listen, I would miss an opportunity if I didn't say to you today, that if you ask the Lord to open your mind to see Scripture clearly, he will do it. He will do it. He wants to open your mind so that you can see him. Listen, if you pray for understanding, God will give it. He will. All you got to do is ask. Jesus told them the substance of his revolution in this interim period that the message of repentance and forgiveness should be shared with all people regardless of race, color, or creed. Dr. Luke demonstrates that in the purpose of God, there can be no ethnic, economic, educational, or social discrimination within the church. God calls the church to witness to all people as he forms a family from all people. Now, Luke's repetition between his gospel and the book of Acts is purposeful. Why? Well, it is indicates that the period from Easter Sunday to Jesus' ascension is both the conclusion of the earthly ministry of Jesus and the beginning of the church's work. In fact, Luke tells us that Jesus presented himself alive to his disciples, verse 3, after his death and resurrection. 
His death being described as his passion, literally his suffering, a word that is not infrequent in the New Testament and reminds us of the torture that was inflicted on an innocent Jesus. Luke stresses the factuality of that evidence, and he stresses it here as we have it in Luke 24, that there was an initial unwillingness of the disciples to believe until they were shown the evidence. Be reminded of Thomas standing before the Lord and saying, show me the holes in your hands so that I might believe. He gave them evidence. And he began to instruct them after that over the period of about 40 days, which fits with the fact that there were about 50 days between Easter and Pentecost. During this period, the theme of his teaching was the same, the kingdom of God, a phrase which elsewhere sums up the theme of his earthly ministry and signifies God's saving, sovereign action through him. The point that Jesus made to his disciples is that this ministry of the kingdom should continue to be the theme of and mission of the church as they witness to the world of what Jesus has accomplished. Now, there's going to be new elements of this teaching. Why? Because the teaching of the kingdom came from Jesus, but now the teaching of the kingdom includes Jesus. He's become a part of his own message. And it follows then that the church should take up the message of Jesus as recorded in the Gospels and make it the center of her existence. And that's the third thing I want you to know today, that the church exists for those far from God. That is why the church exists. It exists for the mission of God. It exists for those who are not yet in the family. It exists for those who are dwindling and dying and fading away physically and spiritually. It does not exist just to serve our needs or to come and get a word. It exists so that we can be filled with God's power and go out into the world to transform it. That is why the church exists. And that is what Jesus told his disciples during these 40 days that you have to continue the mission of the kingdom of God. And then he also gave them a particular instruction, and we'll land the plane here. As they shared a meal together, again, this is post-resurrection. Just get your mind around it. Jesus died. He got up. He walked through a wall. Then he said, can a brother get some sushi, right? I'm hungry. As they shared a meal together, Jesus ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but what? To wait there for the promise of the Father, verse 4 and 5. And the promise of the Father was that the Father would baptize these disciples with the Holy Spirit in fire not many days from now. Jesus reminds them, remember what I told you, that John baptized with water. John the Baptist baptized with water. But I am going to baptize you with fire and with the Holy Spirit. Now, that word baptized is an interesting one. It has many, many, many different meanings. The one that I chose to name this sermon after is a translation that means deluge. It is the flooding, the flooding of the soul with an outpouring of the Holy Spirit from on high. And it is promised all over Scripture, including Isaiah 32, 15 and Joel 2, 28 through 32. Jesus repeatedly told his disciples that after his resurrection, this would happen. Matthew 10, 20, Luke 12, 12, John chapters 14 through 16, all record Jesus reminding them that when I die and when I rise and when I ascend, the Holy Spirit will come and he will baptize you with fire and fill you with power. But for a long time in the church, the Holy Spirit has been ignored. 
called an it instead of he. There's been much greater concentration on God the Father and God the Son, Jesus, but not so much on God the Holy Spirit. He's also been misunderstood and maligned. He's been resisted. But here's what I can tell you today, that the deluge of the Spirit is a promise for everyone who believes. And it is not just once. As we will see throughout the book of Acts, it is repeated over a lifetime. And I know we all come from different church backgrounds. That's one of the beauties of renovation. We are a convergence of streams of Christianity, Baptist and Methodist and Pentecostal and Charismatic and Catholic. And some of y'all don't even know the difference in Pentecostal and Charismatic. They are not the same thing, okay? We all come from all of these different backgrounds. And so we have different teachings or non-teachings on the Holy Spirit. Some people believe that uh, you get the Holy Spirit at salvation and then you have to pray specifically to get a second blessing of the Holy Spirit and infilling. Some people believe you get filled with salvation and never filled again. But here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that when you come to believe in Jesus, that the Holy Spirit and the love of God is poured into your heart. And then you pray and the Holy Spirit fills you again for power and for gifting. And over the course of your life, you ask again and again and again and again and again. And whatever capacity you leave for the Spirit of God to fill you, he will fill it up. That's what the Bible teaches us. And you're going to see that over the course of this book. We need to be filled with the Spirit of God. If you want understanding, you need the Holy Ghost. If you want power and wisdom and joy, you need the Spirit of God. If you want to practice the way of Jesus, free of fear and free of doubt and free of guilt and free of shame, then you must be filled and refilled with the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit that helps us to pray. It's the Spirit that helps us to understand the Bible. It's the Spirit that allows us to be in community with challenging people. It's the Spirit that forms the family of God. You need the Spirit. And I can tell you from my own experience that when I received the Spirit fresh again, I began to see clearly the promises of God and the way that he intended me to live my life. And I need you today to receive God's promise. So I guess that's the invitation. Maybe we'll call it a call to action. Ask God to fill or refill you with the Spirit today. Ask for it. I dare you to. I dare you to ask him. Let God come in and mess up your whole little plan and show you what life alive looks like. You can have a faith that's not ho-hum. I don't want to live a boring, routine faith that shows up to the places where I'm supposed to be and claps on the two and four when I'm supposed to. I'm not even doing that. And I didn't name anybody. You know who you are. There's no judgment. Change your seating so you can learn from someone. I don't want that type of Christianity. I don't want the type of Christianity that makes the Bible boring to me and makes worship seem like a drudgery rather than a joy. Do you know the Bible said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. You can't do that in your own strength. You need the Spirit of God. And so that's the invitation today. At the close of the gathering,
myself, and our prayer team are going to be down here down front. And if you want to be filled or refilled today, then we will stand in agreement with you that God would move in power. Now, if you're not ready to take that step, I'm not going to kick anybody off the cliff. It's simply an invitation, and it's one I strongly urge you to take. But if you're not ready to take that step, here's what I would say. Consider spending just five minutes a day this week reading and rereading these verses and asking God for understanding and for faith. Why? Because you need the Spirit. And if you receive the deluge of the Spirit, then you will have all that you need for faith and practice in following Jesus. Listen to me, Renovation Online. You will have all that you need for faith and practice in following the way of Jesus. And what's the alternative? The alternative is, is that if you don't walk in the Spirit and if you are not refilled with the Spirit, the alternative is the powerless, doubt-filled, joy-void of Western churchianity that has made the church irrelevant in the 21st century. I don't want the alternative. I want the real thing. And I want you to have it too. Here's the last word I'll say, family. Worship team, please come on up. We have a three-year vision, don't we? If this is your first time, you don't know this yet, but you're now a part of a three-year vision. We have a three-year vision, and we have asked the Lord to allow us over the next three years to see 300 people baptized, to see 2,000 first-time guests, to see $6.4 million in giving and generosity so that we can see the kingdom of God expanded in and through this church. And let me tell you something. If you think for one second we're about to do that by willpower, the Bible says not by might, not by power, but by the spirit of the living God. And that is the only way that we're going to get any of that done. And so today I, I'm going to use one of them old King James church words. I beseech you. Receive the spirit of the living God. Father, we pray now in the name of Jesus that you would seal us in your word, secure us in your word, empower us by your word, make us new in your word, free us through your word. Transform us through your word by your spirit. And let us be brand new today. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. Amen. Can we rejoice before the Lord? I like that.